This episode is sponsored by Realtor.com, who wants you to take advantage of your free profile on Realtor.com. By claiming and completing your free profile, adding a photo, and all of the information that puts you head and shoulders above the competition, you're on your way to receiving free leads, helping search engines find you, and staying top of mind with past clients. To learn more about claiming your free profile, go to realtor.com forward slash profile. Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first-time homebuyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Real View Podcast. I am your host, Allison Wiley. Today's special guest is the CEO of Haven Park Communities, Robbie Pratt. Robbie, welcome onto the show. Thank you, Allison. Happy to be here. And we are going to be diving into a little bit more about what Haven Park does, Robbie's role there, and a little bit about manufactured homes and why this might be a good option for individuals interested in home ownership in Ohio and throughout the country, because I know your company, Robbie, has structures all over the country. So we're going to dive all into that today, and I'm really excited to be talking about it. But before we get started on that, um, I want to know a little bit more about you, Robbie, your career path, what's led you to where you are today and maybe a little bit about what you do in your role at Haven Park. Sure. Happy to uh, give a little background. So the starting point for me for manufactured housing actually started uh, many, many years ago. You know, living here in Utah, you know, we had a number of just contacts, acquaintances in our community who were involved in manufactured housing. And we saw how they, how their portfolio, you know, just from a high level, really how it fared during the Great Recession and where a lot of operators of apartments and, and single family homes, you know, there were some tough times, certainly for all asset types during those years. But, you know, we, we just observed that manufactured housing just tended to be a bit more resilient during those times. So that, that certainly got our attention. And uh, my business partner and I you know, decided to jump in about eight years ago and you know, we started, we wanted to have a complete proof of concept. We really, you can only study the industry so much and then you have to eventually jump in and that's what we did. And and we took the first couple of years and uh, really just went out and, and, and purchased assets with our own capital, kind of learned the business, you know, got the bumps and bruises to to kind of figure out how to, our, our way in, in the world of, of manufactured housing. And, you know, over time, eventually had the confidence to take on some investor capital and and, and that helped us helped us to grow to where we are today. But today, you know, we're, we're over 20,000 home sites operating in about 20 different states, including Ohio. We have, you know, seven communities there, there in Ohio at the, at the moment. And uh, we have a staff of about 300 people. So I, I have the the delight and, and privilege of being the CEO over over a just a fantastic team, just a tremendous experience and and just, you know, being able to go out there day after day and, and execute on on our strategy. 
Yeah, no, thank you for the background history. I always like getting a little bit more information about about you and a little bit about what you do. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what Haven Park is specifically and maybe also about what manufactured housing is uh, for any of our listeners who aren't familiar what that is? Yeah, so manufactured housing, to maybe keep it very, very simple, we are able to have properties, sometimes they're referred to as land lease communities, because the operators or the owners are typically, they're leasing out the site, and that site is occupied typically by a an owner of a manufactured home. Now, manufactured homes have some pretty significant efficiencies, and those efficiencies have been growing because they're made off-site, you know, they're made in a factory. Uh, you know, when you go down the freeway, you'll see the oversized load, big flags with the, you know, the flashing lead cars. And then you'll see like half a home or a, a small home on the bed of a trailer. And that's what these are. These are these are manufactured homes. So they're they're built off site. And there are several factories, you know, several dozen factories all over the country. You know, depending on where the final location is, a factory will be sourced. The home will be built to certain specs. It'll be shipped. And then once it's delivered to the site, there's a host of, of really small, call it small construction projects that you have to go to to get that home installed. But it's able to, you know, kind of start to, to end in most cases, usually 90 days or less um, from the time you order a home to when it's delivered and fully set up and, you know, have that certificate of occupancy and ready for, for it to be inhabited. So you're able to uh, you're able to move pretty quickly in terms of getting additional units ready to be uh, to be sold or ready to be leased. And again, the model typically, and there's, there's some variations to this, but typically the owner owns the the underlying real estate, and then the the residents will own the homes, and that's kind of the relationship of the community. Typically, the owner or the the operator is responsible for maintaining and upgrading the infrastructure. Um, common areas, kind of the you know the overall curb appeal of the property. They're also responsible to enforce rules. You know this is very important. If if someone you know buys a home and has their investment, they don't want their neighbor or you know on the side of them or across the street to uh, uh, you know to have you know two foot tall you know weeds in the yard or or, or you know clutter. So um, there's also it's incumbent on the operator to enforce those rules and, and and so forth. But that's in a very you know rudimentary way. That's that's the model here that we're talking about. Yeah, no, thank you for giving a little bit more detail onto what that is, because it's different than the stick build homes. Right. And I think it's important to kind of differentiate those two. Um, are there any other points that you want to make sure you get across when it talks about the difference between the manufactured housing versus the stick built housing and maybe some of the benefits and challenges that go along with both? Certainly. You know, I would say one of the biggest benefits is just the cost per square foot. So the quality of manufactured housing, manufactured homes has gone up enormously. I would say even in the last 10 or even last five years, we've seen some pretty big breakthroughs. I mean, the the finishes that you can get in manufactured housing very closely approximate, you know, with the exception of you know, the highest luxury, you come down a level from there, you can pretty much get anything that you would get in a stick-built home. Also, just the the durability and reliability, the way these are anchored to the ground, they're able to withstand natural disaster in the vast majority of cases 
as good or even in some cases better than a stick a side built home. And so there, there's just some pretty incredible stories of how they've weathered uh, natural disasters, you know, particularly the if they're built, you know, in the last few years and and into the specs, uh, the, the setup specs provided today. Thanks for that. So that would be, I'd say, the the big advantage. You know, there there are some trade-offs, I would say. Yeah. With a stick-built home, you have property taxes. And then typically, depending on how you're situated, you might have an HOA fee. You're going to have, you know, insurance. If you're a homeowner of a manufactured home, you're still going to have the insurance. You won't have the HOA. You will likely have a, depending on what state you're in, in Ohio, you'll have a pretty meager, pretty marginal home tax on that, but you will have site site rent. And so, you know, what we find is in most cases, that's if you take the aggregate of your HOA fee, your property taxes, that will typically equate to to your site rent if you're in a manufactured home, living in a manufactured home community. So that's kind of a wash, you call that a trade-off. But I think it comes down to really the, the biggest would be, you know, cost per square foot, and the second would be energy efficiencies. The homes are built today to specs that are just unbelievable, actually, um, in terms of energy efficiency and, and ability to kind of, uh, you know, cut that, that utility bill down, especially in cold weather climates. And I know one of the stigmas that exists around manufactured homes is the appreciation inequity that exists in these homes, because we know what that looks like for, um, you know, more traditional style homes. We know that um, home equity values have drastically increased, you know, over the past few years with home prices increasing. Talk to us a little bit about the home appreciation and equity that exists with manufactured homes and why it's actually a positive thing and how they can appreciate when it comes to more traditional types of housing? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I do think there are a lot of assumptions that are floating around out there that's the kind of quote, you know, conventional wisdom. Here's the way I like to frame this. You know, you will hear people sometimes say, well, it's it's a manufactured home or it's a mobile home. It it acts more like a vehicle than a home. In other words, the minute you drive that vehicle off the lot, the depreciation begins. And I would say that is true, but it is only true in a vacuum, right? If if these were homes that that they were just like floating out there and there were no other considerations but the home itself, I think that's a fair statement. But I also think that would be a fair statement with regular stick-built homes. If you took away the land and the location, I think the same thing would be true with the stick-built home. And the IRS would agree, which is why the IRS gives a straight line, you know, 27 and a half year depreciation, right? Unless you have cost sig analysis or whatever, right? For a single family home, that's typical, right? So I, I think that conventional wisdom holds in a vacuum. The problem is, or maybe the benefit is, these are not in a vacuum. These are these are in communities and and really so so it comes down to where is that home where is that community located one you know and it's the same questions you ask uh, on a stick bill home what are the school districts what are the amenities nearby what is the access to jobs um you know is it a part of town that's kind of on the rise or is it declining um, all these things that are just kind of standard for real estate somehow that sometimes goes away in people's minds when it comes to manufactured housing, but they really should apply. They do apply here as well. And so I will say that here is what we've observed just anecdotally. 
where you have these things like good school districts, like the good part of town, like, you know, the part of town that's on the rise, not the decline, you have some growth. We do see some substantial appreciation of the of the manufactured home resale value. The other thing I'll throw in there is how is that property being maintained? And this is where it comes down to the operator that's, that's running this property. If the operator is putting money back into these properties and you have good curbside appeal, hey, that means you have better liquidity. That means you have more offers when it comes time for that resident to sell their home and they're gonna fetch you a better price in the market. And so this is just kind of an, an anecdotal observation that we have seen, but there's been some empirical evidence that has come out recently on a broader scale to support that. There were two studies that came out. One came out right before COVID and then one came out about a year and a half into COVID. And what they both showed is when you control for these items that I just referred to, the appreciation on a manufactured home is on par to the appreciation for a stick-built home. And I think one of these looked at a 10-year horizon, one looked at a five-year horizon, but the rate of appreciation was very, very similar to what we saw for stick-built homes. And so I, you know, I thought that was very interesting. And, and it's also very interesting from a value proposal to the residents that live in inside a manufactured home community. Not to pick on apartments, but I'm gonna pick on apartments for a second here. If you're a resident or a tenant that lives in an apartment and the rent goes up, you just kind of deal with it, right? Like you just kind of pay the rent or maybe you, you don't want to and you move out, right? You don't, from a net worth standpoint, it's kind of a neutral proposition, right? You don't really get anything out of it if that rent goes up. In a manufactured home community, it's different. If that rent goes up, chances are very, very high that that operator is going to take a good chunk of that rent increase and plow it back into the property in the form of upgrades, additional amenities, maybe a better staff to just give a better resident experience, um, better look and feel to the property. All that is going to result in a more desirable place to live, which means that's going to be a better liquidity pool for that resident when they come when it comes time to sell their home and they're going to get a better a better number a better value for their home so part of the the transfer of wealth actually is back to the residents and this is something that i think is pretty easy to overlook but our residents are no different than i would say most americans in that the vast majority of their net worth when it comes down to it it's going to be tied up in their home. Mm -hmm. And if they can get a, a 5, 10, 20, in some cases, more bigger price appreciation because it's a more desirable place to live, that's a transfer of value where part of that rent increase went back to the residents. And that's something that's overlooked sometimes, but but it is absolutely spot on. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits, you know, that you don't might not think about, you know, when you think about this right off the top of your head. But when you actually sit down and explain it, as you just did, I think there's a lot, you know, of benefits to this in ways that it can appreciate and that you can gain wealth, you know, over the sense of time, which is what we all want to do as homeownership. And I think that's the really cool thing about this solution to housing is when we look at it from a affordable housing perspective. And I know this is something that's a hot topic across the country. It certainly is the case here in Ohio as well is affordable housing and how we increase that space in the housing market. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. 
Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. Talk to us a little bit about how this is a solution or a potential solution uh, to the affordable housing crisis that we are in and a little bit about how it fits into that world. Well, it is a solution and it's frankly a very elegant one. You know, here's the challenge. I think like so many things in our country, the solution is sitting there right in front of us. But for political reasons, it is very difficult to actually get everybody on the same page or enough people on the same page to go enact that solution. And, and I think part of, the, part of the challenge that we have to think through is, you know, I'm, I'm, zoning in America is, it's, it's very different than it is in a lot of other countries. Now, I was reading an article the other day about, about Japan and, and Tokyo and how, you know, basically the rents in Tokyo have been flat for the last 20 years. And yet it's been growing. And, and the reason is zoning occurs at the federal level, at the national level in Japan. So you can't have a, a local board of people come in and protest like the national government just doesn't care. They're just saying, hey, we're just going to give this zoning. And they give the zoning so people can build and build and build. Not the case in America. We do things differently here. And so we have some nuances here that we have to figure out. How do you enact you know, a solution while still respecting what the, the the local municipalities and what the neighborhoods want. And that's the nut I think we have to crack because right now, do we have the ability to go build these nice, beautiful kind of resort style manufactured home communities where people could live for, you know, 30, 40% less as an apartment? Yes, we do. But right now, the reality is getting full zoning and entitlement approvals for those is a very, very high hurdle. Are some people clearing that hurdle right now? Are there new communities being built? They are, but I will say, and I, and I don't have full empirical evidence to back this up, but based on my observation, I think we have more properties that are actually being redeveloped into other types of real estate then we have new properties for manufactured housing being developed. So unfortunately, I think until we figure that out, this solution is, is somewhat limited on kind of making up ground. What we can do is we can, we can maintain the, the ground that we've won here. We have a tremendous product, but I will say that you know, you get into the large metros around the country, and, and, and we're starting to see this in Ohio as well. You have a prime piece of real estate in Columbus or in Cincinnati or Cleveland, or for that matter, a number of other markets in Ohio, that's very valuable. You know, the, the value of that dirt is high. And if that property is not properly maintained, it's going to be a sitting duck. It's going to be a target. And, and you're going to have, you know, the next big box retail or mixed use, you know, option go in there and they're going to displace hundreds of families. I mean, we see this happen 
all the time in a number of states, in a number of markets. And we've seen it happen in Ohio as well. So I think that, you know, we really have to focus to make sure that that these are good, long-term, viable places that people can kind of hang their hat on, that this is going to be a place where they can have this home there for the next, you know, several decades. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's kind of where your philosophy comes in in really taking care of the community and some of the long-term investments that Haven Park makes is and really just making these homes a true community where people can live, work, thrive, and enjoy the place that they're living. Talk to us a little bit about some of the amenities and the things that are offered outside of the home structure. What can residents expect to get with this style of housing from their community in a broader sense? Yeah, well, I think there's there's two things that, that we really strive for. One are the services and one are the facilities. So I'll, I'll start with the facilities. We will take of you when we purchase a property, we'll, you know, we'll do some internal research. That includes speaking with residents. You know, what are the, the biggest bang for our buck? What, what do residents want here? What's needed? What do people perhaps looking to move in? What would they want? You know, what is the composition of this community? Is it largely an elderly 55 plus, or is it more, you know, family or, or, or workforce housing? So we take all those things into account. I would say the you know, the first the first order of business is let's ensure that all the infrastructure and, and facilities are just upgraded, right? And so we want to make sure that we have the foundation for curbside appeal. You know, the next thing we look at is let's look at amenities. The biggest things that we're looking at are, you know, usually there's a common area. Oftentimes there's a clubhouse, there are barbecue pits, pavilions, You'll have large play areas or splash pads for the children. And these are, you know, sport courts. Those are a hit as well. In a lot of cases, particularly more 55 plus, you'll have pickleball courts. That's that's exceedingly popular as well. So we really want to create and invest in these common areas where people can come, they can visit, they can enjoy themselves. If we look at what do we have that's unique outside the stuff we already talked about, what could make a manufactured home community unique from, say, a subdivision of single-family homes or an apartment complex? And one of the things is we have a unique opportunity to build community. People are fairly close, like apartments, but they're not like, you know, they're not, you know, stacked on each other. Everyone still has their own yard. There's some ownership that they have there, but they're they're still pretty tight. And so it really lends itself to, hey, knowing your neighbor, getting to know the, the, the folks on your street. You know, maybe you have kids, your neighbor have kids, they go play together on the playground. Maybe you have events down at the barbecue or or at the pavilion or the clubhouse. Uh, maybe you have, you know, some some pickup games of ball, you know, for the teenagers or, or the young adults, you know, on Saturdays. Whatever the case may be, there's a lot of opportunities to really come together and really, you know, bond. I think that's that's one of the big things in our research that people are looking for. They're, they're looking for a sense of community and we can help nudge them in that direction with the way we structure the infrastructure and, and the facilities. So that's the first piece. The second piece is the service. And that's, I think, really the, the glue that holds it all together. So we strive to give our residents just a phenomenal community experience and, and resident experience. And that comes down to training our staff to provide 
really that white glove service, you know, always, you know, it, it was just very respectful, always uh, being able to give them answers that they're looking for, and then facilitate events. That's the other thing. And so our community managers and the broader, you know, kind of community regional teams will help do that. You know, we set aside a resident uh, resident events budget where, you know, maybe once a quarter, uh, you'll see if you drive through our communities, you'll see events at Christmas, you'll see events at at Thanksgiving and 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 Halloween and Easter and the Fourth of July, you'll see a lot of events that we're having to try to help bring people together and facilitate those community connections. And I think that's really cool. I think that's that's an area that that I think our space really, I think, naturally has a, a big opportunity to continue to build that collaboration and community. Yeah, I think that's really great. You know, the the amenities and just some of the offerings that you just explained, you know, what a great opportunity, you know, to to live in a place that offers all of this that you can walk to, you know, right in your backyard and and have access to all these great things and have access to building that community and building those relationships with other people that that live around you. I think that's that's really great and, and really special. If I was someone that was interested, you know, in, in manufactured homes and in living in one, what does that process look like for individuals to actually obtain home, home ownership uh, with a manufactured home? Walk us through that process and some of the steps that we would need to take. Sure. So I can't speak for everyone, but I can tell you kind of in our communities what that looks like. So you would come in, you would have a chance to schedule a meeting and we have you can do that online. You can do that over your phone via text message. You can call it in. There, there's a number of ways, whatever you're comfortable with, we can get that, that meeting scheduled. So you would come in, you would check in uh, with one of our sales and leasing, leasing agents that, that coordinate that beforehand. And then you, you do a little tour uh, of both the property. Um, they point out some of the amenities, you know, what it's like to live in the community. And then they would do a tour of the actual home that you're interested in. So there's a number of homes you can see online you kind of let the sales and, and, and leasing agent know what you're looking for beforehand. And then they would have those ready and, and you'd give it, they'd give you a tour of one or more uh, of, of those properties that you're interested in. Obviously they'd be ready to answer any questions you have during that tour. And then at the conclusion, it just would come down to, you know, what are you looking for in terms of purchasing the home? Is it, you know, some people, Hey, they're downsizing, and they have a cash, they just don't write a checkout. Other people, hey, you know, um, we're on a budget and, you know, we need to um, we need to finance this. So what are our options? And so, you know, the sales rep would, would typically just kind of give point to a list of commonly used vendors or commonly used uh, lenders, I should say. You may have your own lender. You may have already spoken with a local bank um, and you got, you know, a great, uh, some, some great financing options there. Um, if not, they will point you to a number of uh, kind of national, larger, or they may have some regional leads for you. And then really, it just comes down to filling out an application. Uh, usually that application, you'll get an approval denial uh, within 24 hours. And then that will will typically go to the lenders of your choice. And then they typically respond. I mean, usually in 48 hours, you kind of know if you're approved, if you're on track. And then, you know, there there will be some uh, just your standard uh, closing docs, just kind of a items they'll ask for, proof of income and so forth, your W-2s. Uh, and, and usually uh, you're looking at a closed timeline that's that's typically about two to three weeks. So that's that's uh, kind of in a nutshell what, what that looks like here. 
So pretty similar to buying an, an actual home as far as, um, you know, just the financing options. Although I do know that there's some different financing financing options that exist when it comes to manufactured homes versus traditional homes. But it sounds like that you should prepare for a similar process, except maybe a little bit of shorter closing time. Is that correct? That's right. And, and uh, you know, in terms of the differences in financing, I would say it really comes down to the fact that a manufactured home is still technically personal property. It's because it's not permanently affixed to the ground. It, it typically doesn't move, but it can be moved. And so for that reason, we find that most lenders will, will give about a 300 basis point premium to kind of a conventional loan. So, you know, if rates are, you know, 7% right now out there, you know, you're typically looking at about a 10%, you know, financing on, on manufactured housing. The other thing is the, the amortization period is typically a little bit shorter just because it is personal property. Um, so typically 25-year AM rather than 30 is pretty common. Some people want to go down to 15, and that, that's an option as well, but 25 is pretty common in our space. Cool. Well, this was so great, Robbie. Thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing a little bit more about your world and in this world of manufactured housing. It's definitely a good solution to this affordable housing crisis that we all seem to find ourselves in these days. So thank you so much for joining and sharing a little bit more about you and what you do. Hey, appreciate the opportunity, Allison. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.